I could swear that I heard an interview one time and some a manager was saying that he will, when he's onboarding a new employee, he will purposefully give them a set of instructions and leave one of the instructions out because he wants to make sure that someone won't just sit there and spin their wheels, that they'll come and ask him for help because there's literally no way to move forward without asking for help. I mean, let, let's let's just say hypothetically that's real. That That is a bit of a jerk move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 166. And on today's show, we're going to talk about onboarding because we got a listener question. So that's what we do. We are here to serve. But first, as usual, we'll start with our triumphs and fails. Actually, before we start with our triumphs and fails, I'm just going to throw this in here. First thing, we were out last week. We just couldn't manage to get the four of us in a room, even a digital room together to to record. And we just decided, you know, 165 episodes, that's a pretty decent streak. Let's allow ourselves a week off. So we appreciate your patience and we're back and let's do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> So, our triumphs and fails. Yeah, thank you. Our triumphs and fails. Carol, I'm going to come to you first. All right. Well, I'm going to kick us off with a triumph. I just finished my very first day of safe training. Would anyone like to know what safe training is? I'd love to know what safe training is. Can you you now break into locks and stuff? (laughs) Uh, No, I can actually explain a tad bit more about... Oh, how do you say it? Oh, no, I just totally forgot what this stands for. (laughs) So it's for Agile. It is Scaled Agile Framework. Man, I shouldn't be put on the spot this week. So it's Scaled Agile Framework, and it's all about, from what I'm gathering so far, it's going really, really small with our work and making sure that everything we deliver is value-add to the customer. And it's something about an art train. So I will learn about that tomorrow. (laughs) All right, cool. Is this an in-house training that's taking place? Yeah, and actually Adam had posted an article, you know, in Discord talking about corporate agile and some of the side conversations I'm having with other engineers is, how does this differ from what we're doing? And it just feels like (laughs) training for someone to get paid to train us to do it differently. But maybe Mm -hmm. it's because they're bringing a lot of teams in that weren't using Scrum at all and weren't using Agile approaches. And now they're working with the development teams um, and trying to get the products owner, product owners in on it as well early. So I'll kind of understand more once I finish up the class and see the changes that have been made since I started because it's already been implemented on the other teams. Well, let me ask you a question because when we had Brian on the show last week or the week before. Two weeks ago. And, yeah, yeah, two weeks ago. <laughs> two weeks ago. And he was saying that there are going to be teams that don't really care what Scrum is because what they're doing currently works and they're not really trying to solve any particular problem. Do you feel like you're solving a problem or is this just a thing that's being implemented now at the company? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like it was probably solving a problem before I started working here. So it's something I wasn't like, I wasn't seeing it happen. Because gotcha. as I started, the other engineers had already finished safe or was or were actually finishing the class the week I started working at OPM. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm assuming it solves something, but how it was impacting everyone, I may never fully know because I wasn't working under that way. Understood. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's me. Going to call it a triumph. What about you, Tim? Well, since I have no triumphs in my personal life or career, I'm going to uh, brag on my daughter for a second. Uh, I think I mentioned that she was star student, which is best SAT, but now they announced just the other day that she's also the salutatorian. So she has the second highest grade in, in the class. She gets to give a little speech, you know, for Europeans, valedictorian, salutatorian is kind of a big deal. If you ever watched the high school movie, they give little speeches and wear the, the plaster boards and all that stuff. So it's a big deal. So I'm super proud of her. Although she should have been valedictorian. She, she, was, she was so close. The teacher didn't give her some makeup work that she had when she was sick and it brought her grade down. So she got a zero on something. So although, anyway, not bitter at all. So <laughs> very proud of her though. Your children seem so motivated and so successful. How much of that do you attribute to intrinsic motivation and how much do you attribute to the, the, the chains and the punishment and the groundings? <laughs> You know what? I, we we rarely ever have to punish them. I, I think I, I'll say this. I, you know, I'm I'm loath to give parenting advice because every every child's different, and they everyone has their own challenges. But for us, early on, my wife and I, our Michelle and I, were came to consensus that we need to have a good routine for them. That life shouldn't, you know, try to minimize the amount of surprises in life because life is scary for a little person. And so have a routine, stick to routine so that they never have to worry about that. They don't have to spend their brain cycles on that. And to have expectations of if they're able to do something, they should do it without us ever having to tell them. Those two expectations, I mean, early on, it was, it was pretty tough. We were very, we were very regimented, very, very strict. But then as they got older, it's like pretty much they were on autopilot and then we didn't mess with them. <laughs> and I think that's even the most important thing is, is once they start doing good things, don't mess it up. Just let them go, you know, just let them coast on their own. And if they need a course, correct, you know, you know, mention it, but don't punish them for it because they're going to make mistakes. So we very rarely ever had to punish our kids. Well, it seems to be working. Very well. Congratulations. Appreciate it coattails big enough that even I could ride on <laughs> come on on so with the self-correcting thing I remember when my oldest was in high school and I would get emails from the teacher and they'd be like oh James isn't doing his homework James hasn't turned this in you know James doesn't appear to be paying attention and I'm like if James isn't self-motivated I can't fix that <laughs> like yeah. what am I supposed to do here you know I feel like at some point you have to work this out with them and I need you to encourage him to be more self-motivated because there's only so much I can do like if he's not going to listen he's not going to listen so we struggle with that a little bit but the youngest no issue mm. yeah. never a problem and we never can negotiate it with our kids it was you know, if we told them to do something, it was to be done. That was yeah. not, there was no back and forth. There was no, well, this, no, it was I'm like. I'm going to count to 10. Yeah. Oh, we counted to three. <laughs> <laughs> three is as much as they got. And it, so it, particularly when they're little, it's like, there's no yeah. negotiation. You don't negotiate with terrorists or toddlers. <laughs> you know, that, I like that. That is, like that. that is our motto. It has been our motto forever. You don't negotiate with them. You tell them what to do. They do it or they don't do it. If they don't do it, there's consequences. Noise. Are we talking about the terrorists or the toddlers? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Is anyway. there a difference? <laughs> no. Anyway, that's me. How about you, Adam? 
oh, I was kind of waffling, even with what the the thing that I'm going to say, I was waffling whether it was a triumph or a fail, but I'm just going to go ahead and call it a triumph. So we've been uh, working our way through this uh, co-op process with the Drexel University to try and hire somebody for about a six-month period. And the interviews are going really well. We are a couple of days away from finishing up the interviews. And then pretty soon we should find out whether or not we're going to have somebody placed with us. Like we kind of, we rank them, they rank us, and and hopefully there's a good match there somewhere. But the the whole thing that's got me thinking is it's interesting to be on the other side of the interview table as the interviewer and to be at where I'm at in my career. Like, you know, I'm a little older, a little wiser, a little more learned, and I'm I'm approaching interviews differently now than I did when I was, you know, like a senior developer IC at a different company. You know, when when I have I don't have a financial stake in this company, but you know, I have a spiritual stake or I feel invested. Personally, I have a vested interest in this company. And so it, it just changes the way that I'm approaching it. I'm I, you know, I'm learning on my own free time about engineering management and mentoring and this sort of thing. And so I'm approaching interviews differently, which is a, a whole new world for me. It's like a, a Disney song or something. But then the best part about it is there like so many of these, I'm just going to call them, call them kids because that's what they are. <laughs> they're in college, but like I'm old now. So they're kids to me. The, the, the best thing is that so many of these kids are asking amazing questions, insightful, thoughtful really? questions about us, about the company. Like, uh, you know, I've been with the company for approaching 12 years now. And then the other guys that are interviewing with us, uh, I've been with the company for like eight plus. And then the um, the newest member of my team is four plus years with the team, which is crazy to think about. It feels like, you know, maybe two years ago we added him, but just time is flying. And so like one of the common questions is like, why have you been with the company for so long? And so it's fun to hear everybody sort of refine their answer to that question because it gets asked frequently. But also like, because Steve, the founder, is attending most of the interviews, you know, they'll ask things like about our mission and purpose and our North Star. And it's kind of become clear that like Steve personally has a, a mission and a North Star and like a reason why he started this company, but it hasn't really translated into a transferable mission and North Star that the rest of us can buy mm, into. Interesting. And like and in a way, that's a good thing, right? This is a growing pain. We're a company of seven, soon to be eight or seven and a half, depending on how you want to count it. And, you know, the, it's not necessarily something that we've had to really think about, right? You just hire good people and you point them in the right direction. You say, go when you're really small. And as we're growing, you, we're starting to get to the point where like, we're, we're starting to think about doing some of those things that you laugh about when you originally start the company, like, Every meeting doc has the the company mission at the top, right? Like this, like this should guide your discussion. Like we're not doing that. It's not quite that cheesy yet, but it's like, okay, maybe there's actually a, a grain of truth to that practice, right? Like uh, there's a great anecdote. I wish I could remember the book that I'm stealing this from to credit it, but I read a book at one point and it recounted a story about Southwest Airlines and how their i don't know if it's their mission or their their you know some sort of purpose statement or whatever is they're the the low cost or the budget airline whatever and it's like okay if, if you have to make a decision and it 
clearly that decision should not go all the way to the top. What do you use to like, what framework do you use to make that decision? And if you're like trying to decide which salads should we offer for sale on the flight, you know, the, the $10 salad or the $4 salad, well, it's Southwest. We're the budget airline. We, we go with the $4 salad, right? So like, we don't have that like super, you know, crystallized, easy, portable, you know, North star to like mix all of the metaphors, but <laughs> the, and so it, it's a triumph in that we feel like this is coming at the right time. We're feeling comfortably destabilized by that, if that makes sense, right? Like it, it, we're in a good place for it to be, to be just pushed a little off balance and feel like this is the right time to be thinking about this and um, figuring out what the answer should be. So very good cool. times. Well, I, it sounds like you had really good interviewees. Is there anything in particular that stood out as, as like an interview faux pas, like something that you would just say, Hey, we saw people doing this. This isn't something you should do in an interview. Just an FYI. I don't want you to throw anyone under the bus. Sure. But, but I'm just no. curious if there's anything. Um, honestly, just- no, like the, I, I can't think of anything that anybody did that was bad, except there was like one person that just, I think it was mostly just because it's not a great fit. As of right now, this person would be last on my on my ranking list. Mm. And it was it, it was a shorter conversation than usual than the rest because it, you know we were getting short answers and it was just like a yep, nope mm. sort of thing because they didn't have a whole lot of experience to draw on. So it's like, do you know, can you tell me about your experience with React? And they're just like, yeah, none. <laughs> like, okay, you, you know, you're not giving me a whole lot to work with here. I'm trying to like, you know, and it wasn't just react. Like, I know that that's kind of a deep topic in, in the career path, right? It's, you you learn a lot before you get to react. So, but that was just one example. Even it's just like, you know, yep. tell me about your JavaScript experience. It's like you get a 30 second or one minute answer from that. It's hard to extend that to a, 45 minute interview, right? So that was the only person that I can think of that, that immediately jumps to mind that, you know, we had any sort of difficulty with at all. There were a couple of people that were standouts and then pretty much everybody else is like, okay, yeah, this is a solid alternate, right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the this program that they're in at school at Drexel seems to be giving everybody a really solid foundation. And then it's just like, uh, how much personal hunger do they have to to go out and like take the knowledge from the internet and from the world versus waiting for it to be spoon fed to them and how much experience have they gotten either by being you know a, a year older and, and already been in the program for an extra couple of years or you know whatever stuff you know if they've already had different tech jobs or whatever just gotta say drexel sounds is a really cool college name it is yeah. right that, that's so super cool wasn't yeah. it also the name of the drug dealer in was that early Quentin Tarantino movie, True Romance? And Gary Oldman's character, I think, was Drexel Spivy. Drexel okay. Spivy. So good memory. There you go. All right. Val Kilmer was in that. I never, I never saw that. Well, it sounds like you had some good interviews. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things that were kind of fun. I mean, I don't know that, that this get that you would get away with this in, you know, a senior level position sort of thing, but like kind of a good surprise for us was one of them showed up and you know, how you can like set a picture as your background in the zoom meeting or whatever. His background was our company logo. So it was kind of like he was sitting in our office. Oh, great. 
It's just like kiss. a little mind kiss. Little mind game. <laughs> well, but, you know, I think it, honestly, there's a there's got to be like a little bit of psychology to that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It, we can envision him working for us, right? He's Look, he's in yeah, our office. He's, already he's on the call. Look at he's on the call. He's branded already. Yeah, yeah. but it, it just showed a little bit of like you know effort and and thought went into it and creativity. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for me. How about you, Ben? Uh, I don't know if I have a triumph or a fail. I've just been. I think I'm a little bit depressed and I've, and that's been kind of just putting me all over the place and I'm, I'm not really having any highs or lows right now. I'm sort of just mood. I'm just like, meh, but like I have, it's like I hurt my back. So now I just started going to physical therapy and that sucks. But at the same time, I'm, I'm calling my book done and Mm -hmm. I'm taking it out of the early access program. So I got to set up a final product. So that should be exciting, but it feels very anticlimactic. And then I started to do some more independent learning. Like I've started to learn about HTMX and Alpine JS, and I, uh, I, I purchased a Svelte JS course on Udemy, but I haven't started it yet. So, like that's exciting, but it also feels a little bit overwhelming because now I'm thinking about how I want to architect stuff, and I'm frustrated by questions more than I am about information at this point. And I, I don't know. I'm just a little bit all over the place. I'm a little bit meh, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting by. That's well, it. I personally would count the finishing your book as a, a huge triumph man i mean it yeah. is but it's it's like i don't know it it, it 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 was an arduous process i feel very satisfied that it's done but then once i finished it i listened to this audiobook that i heard recommended a number of time on on lenny's podcast called several short sentences about writing by Werner mm. lincolnberg or something i don't know the name off the top of my head it's really okay. good I and mean, it's like a four-hour audiobook and it's all about how to write concisely and to the point and don't use cliches and don't use run-on sentences and don't put all this logic that doesn't need to be there and trust your reader to know stuff and i read that and it just made me feel really bad about my own writing <laughs> <laughs> and i wish i had listened to this audiobook like a year ago, that would have been so much more helpful. Or 15 years ago, I don't know when it came out, that probably would have been even the, the most helpful. Just just throw the whole book into ChatGPT and tell it to make it more concise. <laughs> make the, it sound good. The, honestly, I, I totally feel you on that. You know, There was this realization that I had, I don't know, maybe a year or two after I initially finished my book, where I was like, brevity and and like terseness can be a feature right like i I put so much effort and anxiety into i need to make this longer so that it's worth more dollars right like you're you're paying me money i want you to get a lot of value for your money and it took me a long time to realize that less can be more right like by getting rid of the fluff you're delivering that same value in fewer words is like more value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So I have the, just, just for anyone listening, the book is called Several Short Sentences About Writing and it's by Verlin Klinkenborg. And he he narrates the book as well in the Audible. I got it on Audible. And it's it's really good. And the last, he spends like the last hour of the audiobook just reading sentences from, I think his students, he's also a teacher, <laughs> and basically saying like, here's why this sentence doesn't work and helping you think mm-hmm. about how you could rephrase it and take words out, break it up into multiple sentences. And it's, it's really nice to have a lot of little practical examples as opposed to just, you know, yeah. abstractly thinking that your yeah. writing sucks, but not knowing how to make it better. So it's like refactoring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But for <laughs> words. 
That's awesome. I'm definitely, I mean, yeah. I already added it to my want to read list uh, when you were talking about it earlier. Now mm. it's going near the top. Yeah. It, it's Klinkenberg. Really cool. Wasn't he in Hogan's Heroes? Was that a character in Hogan's Heroes? I'm dating myself on that show. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I'll call well, it Triumph and that'll round out four Triumphs. So. Yeah, there you go. Sure. There Yay, you go. we're yeah. winning. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> my daughter's winning. I'm, I'm, I'm just. <laughs> You're winning by proxy. Yeah, winning, winning by parenting. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that brings us around to our topic for the day. The topic du jour. That sounds good. I'll have that. Ooh, fancy. Can I have two of those? <laughs> <laughs> so this comes as a, a listener question that I mentioned earlier. Do you want to read it, Tim, or do you want me to? No, I, I can read it. Okay. So Camille, part of I pronounce, mispronounced your name, Camille Meraz. That would be the, there's an that accent, on the, last, accent yeah. on the last day. Camille says, hi, friends. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Your heart matters. I hope you're doing well. Smiley face emoji. Recently, I've started a developer experience initiative in our company. We started with a survey, which led to many one-on-ones. And one thing that came up a few times was onboarding. Long story short, it's not ideal. I was wondering if this topic could be an inspiration for one of the episodes. For example, what is an onboarded colleague to you? Do you care about time to first commit? What does the onboarding process in your company look like? And so on. As I say often in our company, we love our users and our developers should get the same treatment. Often the journey starts with onboarding. Thank you for hearing me out. That's a great question. Yeah, that's amazing. Really good. So where do we want to start? I, I liked this one part of it. What is an onboarded colleague to you? How would you guys define that? That's a, and honestly, I love the way that that frames it, right? It's like mm-hmm. onboarding is a process that we do, but it there's a goal to that process, right? And so how do you know when you've reached that goal? And I've never thought about it from that angle before. Well, I, I would say maybe you could just start by defining what it's not to me. So to me, it's not a person who's going through the hiring process. This is a person who has been hired. Anybody disagree or agree with that? I agree. Agree. Because the hiring process sucks sometimes. It really does. You know, going through rounds and rounds of interviews and there's so many. And the bigger the company, sometimes the worse the the hiring process. So let's just assume you've got through all that crap. And now it's day one and uh, you're coming in to sign paperwork and to meet your team and stuff like that. Yeah, I would say onboarding doesn't really start until hiring is complete. Mm -hmm. till your first day. And one thing, at least in my company, because... I was employee number one or number two, depending, I guess I was number two technically, but uh, so, so there was no onboarding process very early on in the company. Mm-hmm. And then over years, the onboarding process was refined. And for a long time, we didn't even have a HR department. You know, we had a handful of people, then we had an HR department and then they had a much more official process. And the weirdest part for me was that I would talk to people who had just joined the company and these people actually ended up knowing a lot more about the company itself than I did. Because for me, it was just things that I heard along the way in various calls and Slack chat rooms. And for them, it was this like 16-page documented confluence onboarding workflow. So they knew all kinds of background about the company and who did what and who you would ask, you know, who do I talk to if I need reimbursement? Who do I talk to if I need to go on vacation? Who do I talk to about this and that? And people would ask me, and I'd be like, I've got no idea. I didn't even know that was documented anywhere. <laughs> so this stuff changes a lot over time. And that's yeah. and that's important to also keep in mind. So, I, I mean, if I could 
try to answer the question directly, what is an onboarded colleague? To me, the way that I think about that is like onboarding is over when I no longer have to worry about helping you understand how to find information in the company and and how to know what to do, right? So like mm. when, when you come to work in the morning and you have a project and you're working on it and you know what to do when you finish that project and how to get from that one to the next project, right? When yeah. you can get to the end of your first project and start your second project without any help other than, you know, if it's your manager or whatever, however that gets assigned. Yeah, when, when you feel like you can leave them alone for a couple of days and, and know that they're not wondering what to do, I, I kind of feel like they're onboarded. And that takes a while to get there because it's like, you know, you first get there, it's like, how do I get my work? Where do I find out what I'm doing? You know, who do I talk to if I'm stuck? I would yeah, limit those can be challenging. The scope a little bit more, though. I, yeah. Instead of like being able to start a new project on your own, I would say maybe just like taking the next ticket. Like someone who's confident, I can take the next ticket off of the Kanban board and move that to completion and feel mm-hmm. confident about that. I mean, that could be a totally legit way of like getting from current assignment, task, whatever, yeah, to yeah. next one. Yeah, and if that's your process for your team. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to take a step back. I don't think that being onboarded means that you are able to complete work fully. An onboarded person to me just is someone who can ask the right questions, Mm -hmm. has made the contacts with the people to know how to keep making progress. So even if they don't understand our application, they don't understand the flow, they've at least shown that they can ask when they're stuck and they can keep the conversations going and they know when to reach out. Like that's onboarded to me. I'm not going to expect someone to understand every story they pick up for, you know, six months or a year before they actually are committing solid work that is guaranteed to be good. I just want to know that we've given you all the contacts that you need. We've given you the context of the work and you're able to ask in an open forum without being worried that it's going to sound stupid. Have you ever had an onboarding buddy? I I have. We had that. I don't know if it was an official part of the documentation. I think it was more like Steve-O is joining our team, like our little team within the company. And hey, Tim, would you mind being his onboarding buddy? Which basically just means... If Steve-O has any questions, Tim's going to be the first guy you talk to. You'll get on, maybe do a little screen sharing, maybe do some pair programming just to get everyone up to speed on where repositories are and how to access GitHub and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I had one of those when I joined at Penn. And it was a lot of like, exactly what you're saying. Like, if I don't know where to find information, that person would be the one to be like, okay, here's where you find it on the employee portal sort of thing. Yep. And I think, years back i kind of was someone's onboarding buddy hired a a young guy out of college and and we were in the same office together which was which was you know nice so that he could ask me pretty much any questions i just remember spending hours just explaining because you know we're talking about insurance i'm like having explained to him not just about coding but like all right here's what insurance terms mean you know what is what is a, a coverage a what's what's you know what's all these sort of things and so he would just we're in the same office, so he just like, hey, I got this ticket that says this. I don't even understand what they're asking me to do. And then just explaining it. And I mean, it was kind of informal, but it kind of worked. He got up to speed actually pretty quick and was doing some pretty good stuff uh, so, within within a few weeks. 
to be clear, you were explaining these things because you are working, or at the time at least, you were working in the insurance industry. So yeah. you're giving industry terms and, and right I mean, industry terms, and, and, right? Yeah, vocabulary. Yeah, because every you know, depending like I imagine in the charitable donations to colleges, there's terms that a person coming off the street doesn't really know what they mean or even understand why people are doing what they're doing, right? So. Yeah. Um, being able to explain terminology that everyone takes for granted, it's, it was, it's kind of helpful in the on, onboarding someone. But I mean, that's really just not during the onboarding period. I imagine that kind of happens throughout someone's early career with the company. So for the, for like the buddy assignment, Ben, that you were talking about, I love that so much because when I was at Clear Capital, I didn't even pick up work. It was join in with another engineer and they're just going to show me the work that they're doing and I'm going to hear their thought process. I'm going to get to see them click through the system. I'm going to see how they work. I'm going to see how they commit code. I'm going to see the pull requests and I'm just going to watch this on repeat until I'm asking questions and until I'm making suggestions and then we start giving me work. So it's like, okay, well, just so you know, we actually have a backlog ready for you. So that's one thing they did as well. They were like, hey, we're onboarding someone. So these 10 stories, nobody else can pick them up because they're one point stories. They're two point stories. They're something that's easy for your mentor to teach you. And it's a very quick win. So you get to celebrate that with your team. So as soon as you push out code, the team's all cheering and happy and giving you virtual high fives because you did your first PR and you did your first commit and things went into production and everything's good. But it was such a simple, like change this color on a button type work that it's not a big deal. It's just more that you got the process down and you're able to do the job. So. And when you say you're seeing people click around are you you're doing screen share that whole time basically they're yeah. sharing their screen you're just sitting there watching and, and talking yeah and then visual studio they have the i can't remember what the tool is called but it's where you can just share visual studio with someone and you you're can visual studio code they have it in visual studio oh do they okay the it, enterprise it, too in code, it's called live share. I don't know if it's live called, share. If it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, same thing. So you can just open up a live share and be on a video call with someone, and your IDE matches their IDE, so you're able to see what they're coding, and you can click around as well. I like that. It's like shadowing somebody. Until it is. You're, yeah. I'm just sitting well, there jotting down notes. I'm like, okay, PRs have to go to this many people, and a database change needs to go to this PR, mm-hmm. and I'm learning from just watching them do their process and then learning the system as well. So that was my, like by far one of my favorite onboarding experiences mm-hmm. was onboarding with Clear Capital. That's, and particularly remote teams, that's, yeah. doing that is Hard. extremely, mm-hmm. extremely good to yeah. be able to share screens and stuff. If you're not sharing an office. We had this one thing happen at work, which was pretty funny because in theory, this was such a smart thing for the company to do. But it caused such a massive backlash that was just purely an emotional who moved my cheese moment. So uh, the security team has the ability to control everyone's computers. We have security software where they can wipe computers remotely and enforce, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Chrome has to be updated within five days of a patch being available, that kind of stuff. And at some point, someone said, hey, it would be great if every time you opened a new tab in Chrome, it defaulted to our internal company portal in Confluence, which 
in the abstract, you're like, oh, that's brilliant. Like, of course, that way no one has to remember where this is. They just open a new tab and they're ready to go. Oh my God. Everybody was so <laughs> furious about this and just could not understand who would make such a unilateral decision and how awful this is. And like, why do I want our Confluence page to open every time I open a new tab? This is ridiculous. And I mean, I think it was mostly just emotional, right? Because you could command tab and then command L and you just type in a new uh, address. It mm-hmm. wasn't like a real blocker for anything, but man. So it, it was, it, so was, it a, was it a slow loading page or anything like that? Maybe I don't even remember. It was just, it's like you hit command T and you want to see a relatively blank page or, you know, basically just the Google search inbox inbox or whatever it is in not inbox input. And people just flipped out at having to see a confluence page. (laughs) I honestly, I think I would have been among them. I don't know if I would have flipped out to that (laughs) level. I I definitely would. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would I would have certainly dissented. I don't know how angry I would have gotten about it. But like to me it sounds like the tech people have a you know, like maybe I have my own little like self portal where which has like all the links to the stuff that I use most frequently and that's my start page and you've t- now taken that away from me, right? Yeah. Like Well um, it's like I think a lot of people I, I don't know what piece of software or plugin it is, but I see a lot of people on screen shares, they'll hit command T to open a new tab. And mm-hmm. it's always some new, like really high res photo of a mountainscape. And then the mm-hmm. next time it's a lake and the next time it's a meadow. I don't know what's doing that, but you know, people like to configure their stuff and they have a happy way to do it. Yeah. I, I think it I, lasted like, like three days before they had to revert it from the outcry. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, yeah. You know, I think that one is more of like, you put that in your onboarding, you know, welcome doc, like, Hey, here's our thing. Maybe consider making it your browser new tab homepage, right? Like. Uh, but make it totally optional. I'm curious in this Camille question when he says that the long story short, it's not ideal. I wish, I wish we had a little bit more insight into what they were thinking was not ideal in their current workflow. I'm trying to think about because I was so early in the company, I don't really have a good ex- example mm-hmm. of a bad onboarding experience. I don't know if anyone here does. How much time do you got? Yeah. No, no, you got <laughs> No, you go ahead, Carol. Well, so I've onboarded a few times, as you know. (laughs) So this most recent onboarding, I got apologized to so many times from so many people because I started as an engineer and just going to be an engineer on the team. And within my first week, they were like, oh, you're going to be over a team. You're going to be an architect. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know the system. They're like, don't worry, we'll train you. And then by the next week, oh, we're going to give you a whole brand new team, but we don't know what your backlog is. We don't even know what the customer wants, and we don't even know when this team will be. So it was total chaos the first few weeks of people asking what I was doing, and I had to honestly go, I don't know. It changes daily. Like I don't know what my role is going to be. I don't even know what's happening right now. It was just a disaster because it didn't felt very thought out. And I know plans were changing, contracts changed, and I kind of fell in at the exact time when they needed me to be there. But it definitely was a challenge onboarding this time. Mm. Yeah. I, I was thinking we could maybe deduce from some of the questions Camille asked about, do you care about time to first commit? Mm. Which, which I, I, I would imagine that is a proxy for... A, level, a measurement of productivity. But I would think yeah. that actually commit is probably not a good, because if 
if you're if you're le- your your yardstick for productivity is first commit, then your first commit is hello world and right. push it up, right? I mean, right. So if you if you actually measure it, then it ceases to become a useful measurement, exactly. right? Right. Yeah. But I mean, really, what you're wanting is how 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 soon are they getting to an acceptable level of productivity? Right. I remember, I forget who it was. I'm, I'm going to guess and say it was Zach Holman, but there was somebody who worked at GitHub many years back, wrote a pretty, I guess it kind of went viral or whatever, blog post about what it's like to join GitHub as an employee. And they said that they shipped to production on their first day. It's like, you get your Mac, it's already set up, you know, sort of like the default way and you're welcome to customize it, but it's it's already in a usable state. And you're like, okay, here's your project and you can go go to town. And if you are, you know, capable, like if you're uh, coming in as a senior developer, then you're probably pretty much ready to hit the ground running at that point. And you can ship a feature or something like that or a bug fix on day one, like two all the way to production. That's pretty awesome. And I think that that was more a brag about like their internal processes, the CI, CD, you know, like the, the ability to go from I did a thing to that thing is running in production and less about onboarding. But I think there's an element of onboarding to that. I think you're right. I mean, I think half of what makes onboarding so challenging in some cases is the amount of manual labor that has to be done and the Mm -hmm. ability for things to go off the rails. And, you know, I think containerization has changed a lot of this. I remember early on in the company, the from a developer standpoint, the onboarding process was like, install homebrew and then you got to install mm-hmm. you know this version of less css and then this version of some other compiler and then this version of cold fusion and then this version of mysql and because, don't do them out of order because then the Apple yeah will, yeah exactly yeah. and then someone installs the wrong one and the compiler is now doing something weird but we don't know what to do to to roll it back and now it's like install docker for mac pull down all the images and start them and Hopefully all those things are relatively easy. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked a lot of before about pushing people into the pit of success. You yeah. know, I think the more that the onboarding process can push you into the pit of success, the smoother and more luxurious it's going to feel. So this is fantastic. I'm, I'm over here taking notes because uh, as we know, I'm going to be onboarding somebody very yeah, exactly. soon. <laughs> um, but so, and I know we kind of tried to start with like, what is onboarding and, and you know, what is, what is, bad or, or, you know, what is, what is not onboarding, but I do have a, a, a sort of a little tip or secret that, that I do that I really like. And that is as similar to Ben, you know, employee number one ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I did when we started hiring other people is like, okay, what are all the questions that I would ask on day one, day two, day three? And I wrote what I, I, I created a Trello board and I called it, you know, alumni Q employee handbook. And I just started sharing it with everybody that joins the company. And it's like, you know, there's a there's a column called your first day. And there's just two cards in it. One is welcome aboard, read me first. And the other one is, it's like a, a history. I, I guess at one point, Steve got tired of the us early employees, like not knowing the history of the industry. And so he just started, like he wrote down a screed of like, you know, this company did this and it sucked because of this reason. And then these players, and it's like, it helps to provide that context for like, why does our company exist? Why are we in the the niche that we're in sort of thing? And I was like, this is gold. You know, I can't let this just go by in our <laughs> Slack history. At the time, it was probably like hip chat or something, but like, I can't just let this 
you know, roll off the, the tail of chat messages that are no longer searchable. So I copy and pasted it into the Trello board. It's like, this is useful information. Have that there. And it's also like, okay, then there's like another column that's like money stuff, right? How do you get paid? What do you do for insurance? What do you do for retirement? What do you do for paid time off? What do you do for expenses and travel? Like all that sort of stuff. And just like all those questions that you need to know the answer to, but like it's not really, let's say, appropriate to ask during the hiring phase, right? Mm -hmm. All that stuff that you just, I don't even need to know it. I just need to know that I know where to find the answers right, yeah. when I need the answer. And that's awesome. I was like, so I'm part of a huge, giant multinational corporation and we have Workday and I can never find any info. I always have to wind up emailing HR and going, hey, I don't remember our policy on X. And I wait three days and they eventually, you know, Make after it your a couple. New tab homepage. <laughs> Normally they don't even point me to a document. They just tell me. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, that, that's great to be able to have a place so you can just go look that up. They call you on the phone and read you the URL. Yeah. HTTP <laughs> colon backslash backslash. backslash. That, oh, I hate that so much. Like when you're watching the news or something and they say backslash, it's like, I just want to reach through the TV and smack them. Like A, just say slash. Everybody knows what you mean. And B, if you're going to say back or forward slash, say the right one. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I think good intentions don't scale well. And yeah. what I mean by that is people will start to do something with the best of intentions, but the onset, it's easy to make sense of it, but then it doesn't get curated properly over time. Even little things like in Slack, there's the ability to pin things within a Slack channel. So you could, someone could say, hey, here's an important document. Let me pin it. Mm -hmm. And then it'll list the pin things at the top. And when you have one important document, that makes a whole lot of sense. But three years later, you look up and mm -hmm. you have like 47 messages pinned to the top of your scroll, Slack scroll, message. scroll to get to the actual yeah, yeah. current stuff. Or, or even like confluence. And again, best intentions just they don't scale well. Someone says, hey, wouldn't it be great to know how this Lambda function works? Oh, yeah, I'll write it up in a confluence document. And then four years later, you have like an encyclopedia Britannica of how everything works, which is just not consumable in any way. You lose kind of yeah. all the information architecture that would have gone in had you retrofitted, you know, that information into something consumable. And I don't know how to keep that clean over time because that definitely takes work and it takes intent. Hmm. So I kind of, I kind of sidetracked myself earlier, but so there was two things that I created, one of which was that employee handbook Trello board. And there's another one that's like specifically for engineering people, right? Other developers. And it's like, here's, the tools that I use and, and why I like them, you're obviously free to use whatever you want to use. But like, these are the things, here's links to them and here's my Git config and blah, 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 all that. And and that's like a, its own wiki page. And at the top of it, it's like, you are now responsible for anything that you learned that you wish was in this document. It is now your responsibility to put it in this document. Like you update the onboarding doc for the person that comes after you. Mm. See, my, my onboarding doc here, where I'm at now, came very differently with the list of software. It said, these are the only things you are allowed to use. Do not <laughs> plug any USB devices into your laptop. Do not connect anything that has not been approved through ISOs and ops people. And yeah. And if you yeah, want to yeah. use something else, there's a process, but this is all you mm. get. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you're working for the U.S. government, yeah. so yeah. yeah. But I miss the days of just picking out what extensions I want to put in and what plugins I want to use. 
and I miss USB powered electric gloves. (laughs) I know. Yo, can I, can I slide red for one second here? Just because Carol mentioned USB stuff, and here's here's something that's under my uh, under my craw. No, that's not the right saying. Anyway, I, I watch these movies, and and maybe this is because I've gone through so many security trainings at work. This stuff is just always a little bit top of mind for me. But I watch these movies about technology and CIA and, and counterterrorism, all this stuff. And these people are like, "Oh, I'm accessing this site through seven levels of VPN, and it's it's bouncing off of Bangladesh, and then it's going over to France, then it's going down to South Africa, and then later on in the movie, that same person will just take a, a USB stick and plug it into <laughs> their regular computer." And I'm like, "No, you don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Why were you doing all that other stuff?" <laughs> But it, it never turns out to be a Chekhov's thumb drive, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally benign. Yeah, my husband always tells me, he's like, the more you know about something, the less you can watch it in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah, try try being a background actor. I spend a lot of time just looking in the background going, yeah, that, that person has done the same repetition like 15 times in a row. That is so unnatural. They're, you're not allowed to talk during scenes, so that people will just mimic talking. And you're like, they are just saying wah, 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 over and over again. Peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots. So having onboarded, like it's been a long time since I've had to really onboard. Lately, I just kind of steal people from other parts of the company. But, you know, back back in the day when, I was hiring a lot of people and and helping onboard them and get them, you know, on uh, getting productive. I, I did really kind of worry about how much I felt I should handhold them or have them handheld, right? Either I do it, right, or I get someone else to do it. And that means their productivity goes down because they're having to spend time with this person versus just kind of throw them in the deep end and see how they do, right? To, you know, Give them some vague instruction and 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 see either a they come to you and go I really need some help to see if they're able to do that because that is actually a very important skill to be able to ask for help when you need it versus you know them just sitting there and doing nothing and being fine with it because if, if you find a person who's perfectly willing to do nothing all day and they're absolutely fine with it that is not a person you want working for you. <laughs> So the throw them in the deep end can be okay. You have to make sure you have the right safeguards in place, though. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. they can't have access to the production database if you're just right. going to throw them in and say, make the change and go win. you got to make sure everything's set up to prevent any mass catastrophe from happening. Yeah. And I, and I did struggle with it because sometimes I felt guilty. Like, I feel like I should be spending more time with them. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, no, they're... They're college-educated people. They should be able to figure some stuff out on their own. That's almost sort of a test. I feel like I'm totally making this up, but I can swear that I heard an interview one time and some manager was saying that he will, when he's onboarding a new employee, he will purposefully give them a set of instructions and leave one of the instructions out because he wants to make sure that someone won't just sit there and spin their wheels, that they'll come and ask him for help because there's literally no way to move forward without asking for help. I, I could totally be making that up, though. I mean, let, let's let's just say hypothetically that's real. That That is a bit of a jerk move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a power play. I would probably be crying. I'd be like, this is supposed to be like able to be done, and I'm so stupid, I can't figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. That wouldn't go well with me. I'd be like, here's my resignation, and you missed a step in your instructions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it sounds like that person's a toxic manager. It could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was trying to come up with like the words. So that's that's well put, Tim. 
Yeah. Let's let's just say that I made that up because maybe that was yeah, so a, maybe that was a fever dream that I had one time. Yeah, I'm definitely more of a fan of hold some hands. Know you're going to lose the productivity. Things are going to go down a bit, but then you build such a great team morale and you build those bonds with people on your team that it's worth it in the long run. I, w- I would say kudos to Camille for number one, basically talking to their employees about how onboarding is, right? I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that takes, that takes a level of organizational humility to say, Hey, how, how are we doing on this? And then not just asking it and going, cause a lot of time, I mean, we do surveys at work and I, I've sat through the, where we analyze a survey and there's a whole lot of, well, let me give you the background on this. And, you know, it's like, it's a whole lot of hand waving to say why what they said really doesn't count. And we're awesome. And they're just, you know, a cranky person, but then they did one-on-ones to say, you know, what, what, you know, what do we need to do? And apparently it was not ideal. So I, I mean, kudos to kudos. I don't know who Camille is or where they work or what company they're with, but just doing that in itself, I, I think is a huge, huge step forward in trying to make the experience of being a new employee at a company better. Yeah, completely agree. Although I will say sometimes the, the openness can backfire a little bit and I'll, and I'll only kid. This is this is my own personal experience here. We used to use something at work. I feel like it was called Engage. It was some, yeah, we use that. It was some sort of survey where it's you know like between one and five. How do you feel about this and how do you feel about that? And I think one of the questions was always like, on a scale of one to five, how how much do you? It's like it was like how much do you think what you're saying now will have an impact on the company? And over months, people were just like, one, this will have zero impact on the company because nothing ever changes around here. Mm. And and they eventually just stopped doing the survey because I think it was actually just because making people angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's stop measuring this. We don't like the answer. <laughs> <laughs> we we use one called Pecon. So P-E-A-K-O-N, not like the nut, but like peak, like visually oh look my. into something. But my only gripe with it is the scale is weird. It's zero, it's one to 10, right? And so you would think that if you, you know, everyone has their mental model of what a five is. A five is like, I'm neutral, right? I'm neutral. Right. Well, yeah. But no, in, in Pecan, if you're not an eight, nine, or 10, that person is a detractor. That person basically doesn't like your company. They're unhappy. And no matter how much you explain to people, we fi- I finally got a good pecan score when it, we, I, like the day before the survey, sat everyone down virtually and said, listen, eight, nine, or 10 means that you think that this company is doing well and that my leadership is good. Anything below that means it sucks. So that's what I'm telling you. You can score, if you do think it sucks and you don't like how things are going, Please rate it that way so you can deal with it. But just understand, five does not mean you don't care and you're neutral. It means you absolutely are like about to leave the company. So <laughs> holy crap! Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just, it's, it, it's very important to establish that rubric, yeah. right, so that everybody's speaking the same language. Yeah, because I went from like getting a six, which was like they're like Tim, what's going on? Is you are you going to start you know losing people? I'm like, no, no, no. Once we had that one meeting, and it's like, okay, it's a nine point two. Oh my god, you're a rock star! How'd you turn things around? I'm like, Most I explain people, numbers. Yeah, I explain <laughs> numbers. Yeah, I was just hearing someone. I can't remember if this is the NPS, the Net Promoter Score, or the CSAT, which is the Customer Satisfaction Score. One of them uses the same kind of thing, where it's like, if you're not an eight or a nine, you're a detractor of the mm-hmm. company. That's 
I mean, I don't know yeah. the, the science behind that. But. And people's mental model, like when they deal with numbers, it's like you see a survey one to 10, you're like, okay, five is like neutral. Care. Yeah, yeah, neutral, yeah. right? And that's just normal, but okay. I blame schooling, you know, our, our well, you know, because our A through F, you think like uh, 60. There's like, no oh, F anymore. Is there no F anymore? Oh, wait, no, there's no D anymore. There's an F. Yeah, sorry. It depends you know, where you live. Yeah. It's like 60. You're like, oh, better than half. And like, no, you failed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do really like Camille's last statement there about they love our users and our developers should get the same treatment. Yeah. I do think that's true. I do think it's important to that, that onboarding period. Of the, I mean, it's been, I mean, so many years since I've joined a new company, but it's like, you want to know what you need to, you really want to impress people that first, those first few weeks, months. And if you don't know how to do that, it's like, I, I don't know. Is it me or is it the company? I was listening. A lot of times it's the company. Seriously. Well, I was listening to an interview not so long ago. I can't remember who it was. And, and they basically said that everything is a product, that there's the product you're building that your users use. And your company is a product that the employees use. And this is, you know, like Slack is a product that your developers use. And, and I thought that was a very interesting way to look at it, that, that everything can be improved and you can sort of put the same type of lens on everything and, and, an iterative approach and constantly be trying to improve it. Well said. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So do we have any final thoughts on onboarding before we call this an episode? Do it better, people. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, the key takeaways. Are, I love the idea of that initial shadow period yeah. that you talked about, Carol. Yeah. And then, like, I, I, you know, I feel like maybe I went a little too hard on this when I when I mentioned it, but like, I love the idea that I do, where I'm like, okay, you know, you are now being onboarded. You are you have a better idea than anybody else in the world what the holes are in our onboarding documentation. Mm-hmm. So please leave it better than you found it. Right? Like. Yeah. It's not, I feel like when I described it earlier, I made it sound this like, your job. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Hey, buddy. Super aggressive. (laughs) And it's not, you know, it's like, hey, you know, leave it better for the next person than you found it, please. And, and also, you know, these things change over time. Like I was just looking at our employee handbook and like, instead of team chat, the card that where I talk about team chat, it was labeled Slack. Well, we don't use Slack anymore. So like Mm -hmm. that handbook has kind of rotted a little bit. Right. And I need to go through and and update that. So. so the other the other thing that helps with onboarding with those kind of initial setup stuff is whoever was the last one in onboards the next person because they have it the most fresh in their brain and how they're working and they know where the documentation is. So when you keep that rotation going, it helps uh, helps too because they know when they come on, like you said, like, hey, leave it better than you found it because when we hire someone else, you're onboarding them. So make sure anything you find, you're making it easier for them and for you ultimately. I like, I like that. that. Mm-hmm. I'm... I'm- I'm not yet an AI enthusiast. I, I think AI can do some cool stuff, but I'm I'm just a laggard in terms of technology in general. But I, I do think this seems like one of those areas where AI could probably make a big difference. And I imagine that every just in a in like a perfect world, I could imagine that anyone who gets onboarded to a company, they get their own private chat room, like Ben's onboarding buddy chat room. And I can go in and just ask questions like, hey, who do I talk to about Mm-hmm. PTO and hey, who do I talk to about getting uh, an upgraded computer? 
and the chat bot would just be like, oh yeah, no problem. Here's who you should talk to. And here's a link to the Confluence document that gives you more detail. Honestly, I'm really surprised that we haven't seen something from Atlassian to say like, here, it, it's now part of Confluence. You know? Yeah, come on, Atlassian. <laughs> They're like the only company that hasn't released an AI chat bot <laughs> for their product. Yeah, we're using AI for our legal contracts now. Maybe I'll talk about them in the after show, but yeah, it's, cool. it's interesting. Well, that's a great segue, Tim. So why don't we go ahead and call this a show? It's a show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> very helpful. Thanks. I uh, just want to let you know that this episode of Working Code was brought to you by number two. <laughs> Who does number two work for? <laughs> it works for Envision, apparently. And listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording, editing, and transcription costs. And we could not do this every week or most weeks, glance sideways, glance other direction, without them. Special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Jean Carlo. You guys rock. We do have a whole bunch of new patrons this week. We do? Uh, yeah, I, I was really surprised and, and very happy to welcome welcome them all on... Wow, words are hard. I'm wearing my words are hard t-shirt right now, so this is very appropriate. <laughs> yes, that's funny. So we got a bunch of new patrons this week, and I just want to say a special thank you to all of them. So here are your names. Norden Slimati. I, I'm probably going to butcher at least half of these. I apologize in advance. Peter Y., Camille Mraz. Uh, who gave us our topic today. But, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Brian Sadler, who was our interview guest last episode. Welcome, Brian. And Charles Robertson. So oh. all, all new patrons of the show. Thank you so much. If you'd like to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash working code pod, and we would love to have you. So Tim mentioned the legal docs AI stuff. I'm interested to get into that a little bit. And I'm sure that we have some all kinds of Interesting stuff to say about the, what is it, the Apple Vision Pro. So we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about that in the after show. If you'd like to get in on the after show, you can go to patreon.com slash working code pod, which I know I already said, but there you go. Now you have no excuse for not knowing what the URL is. <laughs> and before I mess something else up, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> and until then. Remember, your heart matters. And please leave the onboarding docs better than you found them. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.